The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Bell. One day when working on an online marketplace, Entrepreneur Holly Cardew was trying to get some imagery clear-cut onto a white background. Now, unless you're a bit of a Photoshop whiz, that is a real mission. Holly thought that if it was a problem for her, it probably was for others looking to make a professional site, and that insight has led to her successful online enterprise, Pixie. The demand was out there, and the business has led Holly to startup incubators, being named on the Forbes 30 Under 30, and here to New Zealand where she's part of Tech Week and the sales and marketing jams that the Kiwi Landing Pad makes happen. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Hey, so tell me first up, um, take me back to just before setting up Pixie and when you were working uh, kind of as an agency of one on the online marketplaces and stores. What, what were you up to there? Yeah, so um, I was living in regional Australia in an area called Orange, which is about three hours west of Sydney. And there were a lot of retailers and they were doing really well in their physical store, but they had no online presence. They had no Facebook page, no Instagram. So I would go around to these stores. Um, Initially, I wanted to build this online marketplace that would allow people in the country to shop uh, in the city. Sorry, people in the country to sell to people in the city, people in the city to buy from the country. So essentially uh, like a shopping mall with different towns on the map. So some stores and retailers joined my marketplace and others didn't want to join the marketplace, but they wanted me to build their online presence. And so when I was building either e-commerce stores or the marketplace, everybody was providing me with terrible content. And so I couldn't sell their products because they were giving me bad photos, also bad descriptions, but I knew that the images were the most important thing. But they all had a smartphone, smartphone at the time. Um, Now everyone has an iPhone. Um... And so what I did was I was thinking, why can't they just take a photo? It's automatically edited and within 24 hours they get their photo back and upload it online. And I couldn't build any algorithms. So I decided to put up a landing page that did exactly what I needed to do and I reached out to more stores than just the ones in New South Wales. It's a cool kind of insight there because retail stores put so much effort into making a beautiful experience with their windows and their merchandising and the product mix. And then they have these, you know, funny, tatty old websites and uh, funny, badly lit photographs and the like. So it's a huge area to improve. Yeah, I think um, at the end of the day, most retailers are not tech people. They have no experience with uh, digital and online. And we shouldn't expect them to. I mean, th- what they're good at is their customer and their product. Um, 
And so it's like a new area for them and expecting every business to suddenly be a good at another skill set is quite difficult. So yeah, they should definitely put in the effort, but I think we can't just expect them to know how to. And so when this idea arrived and you set up the website, you were actually already building things more complicated than this. So a marketplace, that's a pretty, uh, a, a very kind of ambitious undertaking, isn't it? Like, how, how was it that you came to be wanting to, um, to set that up? And what's involved in setting something like that up? That's a really good question. I'm just going to go back a little bit. When I was uh, 18, I lived, I moved to Paris by myself and I came back from Paris after a couple of years and everybody kept asking me for um, local directions. So I spent all, I took all my money that I had and I took it to a digital agency and they basically couldn't build what I wanted and this was in 2006, 2007. And then the next site that I wanted to build was an e-card website and I outsourced the whole project, again, spent thousands of dollars and I needed it in HTML5 and they couldn't build it either. And then the third one, which was the marketplace, I decided not only that I wanted to help these retailers in the local area, I sell online, but I didn't want to spend any money. So I decided to teach myself how to build these sites. So I didn't really think about it as a marketplace at the time. And it was a big undertaking. I uh, researched different e-commerce platforms, not really knowing what I was building, what I needed. But I realized that I could build it on WordPress with WooCommerce. And then it grew from there. And I realized that like, it wasn't that difficult to build an e-commerce site. And it wasn't perfect. You know, the retailers couldn't log in at the beginning or anything. Uh, but it worked and it got traction. And you did get traction with that then. Like, how, how do you, like, as an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur trying to make these things happen, what was the kind of driving force? Like, what, why did you want to make these things come to be? Was there, like, the excitement of making a huge company or the land grab on the internet? Or? Oh, I don't know. I think as an entrepreneur, things just come to you. Um, I like building things. I like creating value. I opened my eBay account when I was 14. So I think just naturally I wanted to do stuff, um, just to help people. I think the other thing is going back to when I was a child, um, I saw my friends, they would have bikinis that were $200. I was like, why does a bikini, which is like a tiny piece of material cost $200. And it was the same for these, um, I'd spent so much money on agencies. So seeing all these stores, why should they spend a lot of money on agencies that would build them a great site, but not necessarily drive them any traffic. So it was always about providing value uh, for the other person. And that goes, that's the same with why I sold French handbags on eBay, because they were more expensive than at our department store in David Jones. Um, so it's always about how can I give something, make it accessible to as many people as possible for an affordable price or at least add some value. may not be cheap, but at least it adds that value that a person's willing to pay. So with, with Bixie, kind of explain um, how you took it from popping it up as a, a page uh, with, with the offer to, to a business. So where did the yeah. first interest come from? So I put it up as a landing page. And I guess I was doing lean methodologies without even knowing what lean, I didn't even know what a startup was. So I put up a page and it had a contact form, yeah, put your email address in and a link to your Dropbox fold uh, images. And I would send a paper, I would count the images, send a PayPal invoice. Once they paid it, I'd send it to a designer and I would guarantee to turn it, give it back to you in 24 hours. 
And I wanted to see if more stores would use it rather than just the ones that were currently um, on my marketplace. So I had a virtual assistant in the Philippines go through either websites that had that were trade fairs where retailers were or uh, go through forums at the time Shopify had a marketplace so we could see who the merchants were. Uh, they were both on their merchant platform but then also on the marketplace and we would literally contact them and just say, hey, how do you edit your photos? This is what we do. Do you want a free trial? Mm-hmm. Um, and then in our third week, somebody in Queensland, um, and I should reach out to them, submitted 800 photos. I was like, okay, this is bigger than uh, just in New South Wales. But we were contacting international people, and I should go back. I, I don't even know if we have the details in our database but because um, we didn't really have a database. Um, but I guess those I could reala- I realized that people, not just locally, I could scale this quickly by contacting people anywhere in the world. Let's just jump into that virtual assistant for a second, because that's a cool idea. So right from the beginning, you were like, well, this is a job that someone should do. Well, I'm not doing it. Um, how, did you, how did you come to be using virtual assistants, and what's your experience been with them? I love virtual assistants. I don't like to call the word outsourcing because I bring everyone onto the team now, but I think at the beginning, I don't like repetitive tasks, and I realized this was a really repetitive task, and I realized I could hire someone online for about five US dollars an hour at the time. And so I had, I set up a process that I had started doing. Um, so I got, I replaced someone with this process and you know, you hire them for a day a week, that's $40. And it was amazing what I could get back for that $40 because from week one, we were getting more orders than $40 a week. So it would already pay back that virtual assistant. Um, I think it's really important to set up a process and get them to do one small task because otherwise, if you don't know how to do that process or that task yourself, then it can be overwhelming and you won't get the results that you want or expect. What kind of other things do you use virtual assistants for? Everything. <laughs> Everything. Personal and business. Last time I came to New Zealand, actually, I was so busy that I had a virtual assistant. I was like, I want to go to a really good restaurant. Here's like the, I don't know, is it Michelin star here or hats? And I was like, here's the list. Can you please call around within two kilometer radius of our hotel and find which one has a reservation? So you do those sorts of things. Um, but I've used them for bookkeeping, uh, project management, customer success, really everything. I think you can, I think you can out or like you can give a virtual assistant anything you want, but it works really well when you put a process in place. Cool. Okay. And to get back onto the Pixie story. So you, you, you started to get a bit of traction there. And then what did you do with going to the States to kind of chase that dream down? Yeah. So I had a friend who was a mentor to Moody, which is Telstra's accelerator program in Sydney. And he suggested that I uh, apply. So I got into the Telstra accelerator program into the class one in Sydney. And they took us to the U.S. and halfway through the program. And I realized that the people in the U.S. were extremely helpful, willing to connect me with anyone I needed to be connected to. And no idea was too small. Uh, Sorry, too big. Too big. Um, I mean, there's a company in the valley who's mining the moon. So you can do anything. And so that was really refreshing because as an entrepreneur, you, I'm not, I don't necessarily think it's definitely an Australian thing. But 
uh, people just say, oh, that's a nice idea or that already exists. That's the worst one because at the end of the day, everyone's going to have different execution and a different vision. So as soon as the program finished, I went back by myself for a month. Then I came back and got a visa and then I went back again. Um, and then I just, I was there by myself for a while until I uh, bumped into someone from 500 startups and I needed a network quickly because there wasn't really, I didn't know about the Kiwi landing pad, but I'm not from New Zealand. Um, but we didn't have an Australian network at the time. And so, and I didn't go to Stanford. I didn't work at Facebook. So the fastest way to get a network was to join 500 startups. So that's what I did. Cool. And how did you make that happen for yourself? Like, were you making enough money from your work to fund your living there? Or were you kind of like doing the famous baked beans and, you know, couch surfing buzz? I've always been a person who would make enough money to live the way I want to live and not extravagant, but I, I got a job at 14, when I was 14 and nine months at McDonald's, the day I could work just to make sure I have enough money. And I think that was the same even when I was doing Pixie. For the first while, I was still doing some um, social media management and client work just because it would pay the bills. And then by the time I got to America between um, the money from the accelerator and then revenue, we I could survive over there. I think people say it's very expensive, maybe expensive compared to New Zealand, but Sydney's really expensive too. So to be honest, by the if you can live lean, uh, you can you can survive in San Francisco. Yeah, the, some things are that Americans consider expensive, like food, and you're like, no, that's yeah, that's exactly. cheap compared to New yeah. Zealand. And they go, you know, Whole Foods is whole paycheck, and you're yeah. like, no, 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 that's all cheap. That's all really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, that's normal. But other things like, oh, your rent's going to be eighteen hundred dollars a month or something, and you're like, oh wow, that's that's a lot. Yeah, and then you know, Uber and getting around in San Francisco is cheaper than. Australia. I don't know. I, th- I feel like there's ways around it. Maybe different if you're bu- building a biotech company and it's hard to monetize at the beginning. Uh, but I definitely feel like there's ways around it, even if you have to do some client work on the side. What are, what's the importance of being there? So, you know, what did being in 500 startups and being around these people do for you? I think it's really important for me because I only did first year of university that uh, Silicon Valley or even building a company is like my university. And so being surrounded by some of the smartest people in the world who have done it is really important to me. And I like to be the small fish in the big pond, not the big fish in the small pond. How, how is it to actually approach and talk to people? There's something amazing about the, you, you just walk down the street in San Francisco and people will say like, oh, nice shoes. What are you up to? Oh, where are you from? What's your accent? You know, like it's such a, a place where you can live off other people's energy. Yeah, I think because um, everyone's essentially from a different place. Even the Americans in Silicon Valley are not from California or they may be from South California, but they're not from the Bay Area, rarely. Uh, so everybody will be happy to talk to you. Um, so I feel like you can chat to anyone. Um, everyone's really open and friendly, but I think everybody lacks time. So if you can at least be helpful in some way, um, because they don't want to waste their time, that is good too. Yeah, what are the biggest lessons that you pulled out of the kind of Silicon Valley Bay Area way of thinking? I don't like meetings now that somebody books in my calendar for one hour. I think you can get things done in 20 minutes. Uh, even at the beginning, just, you know, when you don't know someone, just have two to three questions. You don't need an hour to chit chat. Uh, and then that builds a relationship with that person and see if you get along and then have another meeting. 
I think always giving back is really important. You see that a lot in the Valley. People who have been successful entrepreneurs now giving back. Um, I think they're the two main things. The other thing I love that they do and I try to teach people outside of the Valley is end your meetings with how can I help you? Because that, if you ask someone, even if it's a wealthy person, they may need a someone like a DJ on the weekend. Um, and you may know that a DJ in San Francisco who may be your startup friend who needs money, uh, and you can connect them with that person. And I think some, everybody always needs help. So if we ask that question, we can, uh, connect the community faster. In terms of building that community, you were a solo non-tech founder. Uh, how have you found that, uh, building a company? Community is everything. Um, I found it quite easy to be honest. I feel like people are actually really helpful because we're all in the same situation in technology. Um, it is and isn't competitive. I would say it isn't competitive because, you know, we're all at the end of the day, and I say this, well, this definitely happens in San Francisco with companies, is that even the corporates, they're friendly and they're not competitive because they know that you're either going to fail and they'll want to acquire you or you'll be successful and they'll want to acquire you <laughs> or you'll fail and they want to hire you essentially, um, not acquire you if you fail, but they'll want to acquire the talent. What stage is Pixie at now? So we have around 20,000 customers in over 30 countries. Uh, we have six app integrations, so we've automated a lot of the process. Uh, we're still growing. Um, we still need to do a lot. I wouldn't say, I mean, entrepreneurs never think they're successful, which I guess that's partly true. Like you always want more but not in a greedy way you just you want to see how big you can make this thing or how big you can it's not just this thing it's like what can I do in my life with e-commerce and the way that it's changed as well how have you had to change the product offering and what you're doing the way e-commerce is going I think it's more automated I think I see a lot of businesses and going back to the retailers they don't know how to do things I don't believe that we should be building software that allows enables them to do the job we should be building software that does the job for them um so this is something we are thinking about a lot so ai machine learning the new buzzword uh the latest buzzword um but i do think it's really important for the business or for any software company whether it's in e-commerce or not to start thinking about how the software can actually do it for the end user an interesting example of that in e-commerce at the moment is the kit service that yes. you get on Shopify. We where, integrate with them. Do you? That's, yes. That's so cool. Um, the, the kind of brief outline of that is it's a bot that you talk to through Facebook Messenger and it goes and pulls your product catalog and will, for your online um, Shopify store, run adverts through Facebook or email or Instagram. And all you do is go, yes, 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 and it makes it all happen exactly uh, that, that's amazing how do you integrate with them so when you add new products to your catalog or run your ads but you need to optimize your ads because you have a bad background or bad photo it says would you like to edit them with pixie and you write yes and then the images come to us and we send them back to shopify which is essentially connected to kit so they can run uh, optimized facebook ads that's so cool because it's kind of that future of um it is machine learning in a way and that it yep. will dynamically um, retarget your ads to make sure that they are serving the more effective ads. Uh, and, it, it, and it is here right now. Yeah. 
I think the other thing to look at, I was just uh, thinking about the way e-commerce is going, is I was at the Shopify conference about three weeks ago and a lot of AR, VR e-commerce, especially VR. It will be interesting to see what happens there and that's also something we're considering or looking at because everybody will need to digitize their products. Not only that, they need to design a virtual store and with a virtual store comes you know, all the graphics, but also the music and the sound in the store. I think there's going to be a lot of jobs in that area um, rather than just flat 2D um, digital agencies or designers. That's fascinating. Tell me a little bit about also the role that you take up as a speaker and someone who attends and goes to these events to, to spread the word. How did that come about and does it help to grow the business or is it something you enjoy? When I started out, I hated speaking in public. Um, I think it's something you gain over time. I think the reason why I want to speak now is because I want to explain to people just my story. So, you know, you hear a lot and I understand why investors and accelerator programs want people to be, you know, have a tech co-founder, have people all located in one office, but I didn't do it like that. And it's I would like to be an investor and I would definitely invest in teams like that because the data shows that you're more likely to succeed, but there are definitely other ways of doing it. So I go to events to speak so I can basically share my story just to show that there's other ways. Um, And if you want to start and you don't have a tech co-founder, you don't have to sit there the whole time trying to to pretty much marry someone that you don't know. Um, Just start out and get some traction. So that's why I go. And how do you build those distributed teams? Like, how do you go about filling in those gaps in that, that may not be your particular area of uh, domain experience? So most of the uh, skills or things we need on the team, I will try and set up some sort of process or do it even if it's not perfect. And then I hire someone for a specific task and then it grows from there. If it's something that I am unsure about, I will ask a mentor or ask a what I call a founder friend who has expertise in that area to interview the person. But I will always interview them from like a cultural standpoint, you know, to make sure they fit with the company. But in terms of like a technical role, I will get uh, either our lead engineer or an advisor to check their code. In terms of working around the world and, and time zones and the like, How does that go with building a unified culture with not meeting each other and all having different backgrounds and roles? It's really challenging. I started, uh, I think it's really important to start with, uh, give them your vision and your mission, just as if they're sitting in the office. And our culture is about family. And no matter where you are in the world, no matter what culture or country you come from, you everybody understands family and how to treat family. So that was something I decided from the beginning. Um, I don't know if it'll work as we grow. I'm still figuring that out. But uh, it works well at the moment because everyone can, uh, everyone treats each other like their family. Um, I think the other thing is having, you know, I do things that are fun, send birthday cakes to team members. And, you know, we have a Facebook group where we can discuss things like, everybody's on Facebook. So we have this private group where we can share what we did on the weekend. And that helps with building a culture when you're not in the office. And then when I, when I fly uh, to a city, either near a freelancer, I will either fly them to me or I will go visit them just so they can see what's going on. Uh, I also post things like this. So they know, um, you know, us sitting here 
you know, Auckland doing this podcast, just so they know what's going on as well and they feel a part of something bigger rather than just doing their task every day. One question that we always like to ask on this is um, if you have like words you live by or mottos you come back to or when things are tough, is there anything that gets you through? I guess I don't really have exact words I live by, but I really like the one think like there is no box um, because then you think bigger than um, than rules that are around. Um, I think when things are going tough, it's like at the end of the day, I love who our customers are. I love e-commerce retailers. Um, and so if you're building something that you actually want to solve and the people, your end customer that you want to help, then uh, that works. The thing is, I you know, like as a female, we all love fashion. I love fashion, but I realize I don't want to work in fashion. I'm not passionate about clothes. I just want to be able to wear whatever I want to wear. Whereas like with e-commerce retailers, I'm really passionate about helping those people seeing their business succeed. Do you have any advice for someone sitting there who, I don't know, maybe they're, they've had a problem that maybe other people could share as well and they're thinking, oh, I, I, I could start this? Like how do you actually take that idea and, and start? Yeah, you just need to do it. I think so many people are like, how do I do it? I'm like, just call who you think your customer is have a chat to them and try and get them to pay for something, even if you haven't built anything. Um, time and time again, there's so many companies who spend so much time building or not building, and but they don't talk to the customer and get them to pay. As I mentioned, we literally had a contact form that was name, email, and Dropbox link, and then our email customers. I think there's also a lot of tools out there now that you can use to build a site. Uh, you could use Typeform literally have a form to get people to fill things in and you can use Stripe, which has, which is, you know, payment gateway. So there's no excuse not to be able to build something unless again, you're in like some health tech that needs to be approved. Um, there's ways around doing stuff manually. Well, thank you for coming and talking to us today. Holly Kaju from Pixie, which you can find P-I-X-C on uh, the internet there. Uh, thank you very much, Madeline Chapman, for producing, and thank you for listening. Uh, if you're a fan of podcasts, do jump on and check out the spin-offs, other podcasts, especially Gone By Lunchtime, which is my current favourite. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.